Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Episode 29 of the Announcer Schedules podcast is here just in time for the Christmas holiday. We got a good one for you before we get there. Why don't you give us a present? Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on the Sports Media Watch feed. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Phil DeMont Mollen is back. He is the face, the voice behind the handle Announcer Skeds on Twitter. You follow him. They've got over 20,000 followers and Obviously, the Christmas time is here. We're going to take a look back at the year, talk a little bit about what's happened this week. The announcer pairings are out. We've got the holidays, and we've got a special guest, the voice of the Philadelphia 76ers on the Sixers radio network. Tom McGinnis is here. Uh, Why? Because Tom McGinnis, number one, is a cool dude. Two, he's calling a game on Christmas. So what's it like to have to do your Christmas shopping, preparing for a game, the travel, and all that stuff. Plus, Tom's got a great story to tell. He is a solo act, Phil. We don't have too many guys who are a solo act. He has no color commentary during the game. He is that colorful, and you'll hear from him coming up today on the Announcer Schedule podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Really looking forward to to getting to know Tom McGinnis better. And uh, yeah, that's exciting that he's got a game. Actually, the the first game of, of several on Christmas Day, Knicks and Sixers noon on Christmas and yeah we've got a lot to preview as far as what's coming up these these next couple weeks this will be the our last show of the calendar year so we're going to kind of put a bow on things uh, with this show but want to also prepare you for what's coming and reflect back on what's been another wild week of sports broadcasting uh, that had just wrapped up here yeah well it all started on Sunday and uh, this was an interesting story throughout the day on Sunday you had an unbelievable final game some people think it was the greatest football game in history the World Cup Argentina France you had the game going to extra time. Once the extra time ended, the clock was starting to get towards 1 o'clock, and I was wondering, what are they going to do? It went to penalty kicks, and, of course, the penalty kicks ended before 1 o'clock. I know Andrew Marshan said on his podcast, the uh, Marshan and Aran podcast, that he had put a call into, or maybe he tweeted this out, that he had put a call into Fox. They said they had a plan, but they did not reveal the plan what would have happened here? I don't know if the announcers would have been instructed to tell the audience to switch over to FS1, but I was sure rooting for chaos there. We didn't get it, but what we got was a great game. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it was an unbelievable game. There's there's little doubt about that. One of the, the best ever, if, if not the best ever, in terms of just drama and circumstance and so forth. You know, Argentina went up 2-0, and... I saw a couple of tweets saying, well, you know, that's a relief for the Fox folks. You know, They don't have to worry about this thing. And then France ties it up 2-2 and we go into extra time and into penalty kicks. And it does run up against the clock. I still haven't seen it reported anywhere exactly what Fox would have done. Nope. And it's very compelling considering that NFL contract. Um, you know, typically what they do across networks is they stick with the game that's that's happening. You know, obviously the, the end of a game is is more meaningful than the beginning of any given game, but the NFL is just a whole different ball game when it comes to, you know, what they represent to the to the US viewership and to the to the um the the stakeholders and all these things. Well, and keep My in mind, guess, Phil, keep in mind somebody had asked me why couldn't they put the football on FS1? I think it's contractually obligated that they are not able to do that. One, two, Keep in mind, 
FS1 is a cable network, not a regional um, network. So you could not regionalize the football games on FS1 like they do on Fox network television. In other words, I live in the Philadelphia region. I have Fox 29, so I get the Eagles game. In New York, they have a different Fox network channel. They get the Jets or Giants game. FS1 can only handle putting one game on. So that one game would be on FS1. Those games could not be regionalized, from my understanding anyway, into the different markets. So that would have been a big problem as well, putting you would have chosen which football game would have been shown to the entire country as opposed to getting your regional game like we normally get on Fox or CBS. Yeah, that that that's a really good point. It's a, a fascinating kind of what if, and Fox was really kind of let off the hook, I guess, you know, as far as the timing. In fact, the timing probably worked perfectly, you know, in terms of ratings and interest in, in, in viewership and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, some of the soccer folks were maybe – you know, complaining that they didn't get to see the the trophy presentation and the celebration, all that. But the the idea that the you know, I think I had marked it down at twelve fifty seven p.m. The final um, penalty kick, the the clincher was was made. It hit hit the back of the net, and then you had a couple more minutes to to wrap up there. And then hey, let's send it to the NFL. And meanwhile, if you want more soccer coverage, go to FS1. But it's a fascinating programming, you know, well, dilemma that they were potentially up against. And part of the programming with the announcers is no announcers need it. The Fox pregame show was never needed. I wonder if they had stories put together, packages put together for the pregame that will never air, that are now, you know, uh, had a, uh, you know, a timing that they needed to be aired that weekend for this week's games. And those packages possibly have gone to waste now. Ah, uh, the hidden tapes of the uh, Fox <laughs> NFL pregame show. Right. Well, let's hear how the soccer ended. And, of course, Argentina, the champion. Montiel. Montiel. Just an emotional Andres Cantor there who uh, just essentially breaking down on the air, of course, of Argentine descent there. They win the World Cup. He's on the call. Yeah, Andres Cantor, you know, we've talked about him before, the famous goal calls. And 
you know, he is Argentine. And I, I, I must say, like, he, he does a nice job throughout the broadcast because I listened to quite a few of his clips, you know, giving France their due throughout the game. And, you know, we've talked about it a bunch as far as being neutral when it comes to, you know, broadcasting uh, national or in this case, international matchups. But then you couldn't help but to see the the emotion. And, you know, that that was kind of one of those booth cam looks as well. And, you know, grew up in Argentina, moved to the United States um, with his family to go to college here and became, a uh, you know, one of the world's most famous, if not the most famous uh, soccer broadcaster, you know, currently going. And, yeah, the emotion um, is just unbelievable. The scenes from... Buenos Aires in Argentina. Four million people. The, four million went to the parade. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's it's out of out of control. All you got to do is is watch some of these fan reactions too. It, it's a different level. I mean, you know, I know, you know, I'm sure there's there's NFL and Major League Baseball fans and things like that who will say, oh, well, we've got the most passionate fans, you know, or college football fans, whatever they might be. I'm sorry, you know, th- this World Cup, you know, the, the 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 life or death sort of mentality that, you know, the gut-wrenching experience that these fans go through and then the emotion following a win, not to mention just, you know, those raw numbers. I saw a video of Messi trying to pull into his uh, driveway. You know, he finally made his way home after all these celebrations and stuff. And his house was absolutely mobbed. Like he couldn't even get to the front door without huge security and stuff. And, you know, like it, it's just crazy, you know, how, how seriously these folks take it. And uh, that was cool to see uh, Cantor, you know, able to kind of realize probably like a childhood dream of his. Yeah, absolutely. Now that was on Telemundo here in the States. And uh, obviously, uh, let's take a listen to the um, home team, home Argentina call here. Pablo Geralt on that call. Take a listen. So there you go. I mean, and it's interesting, you know, I, I think of a, of a, a, a broadcaster, Tom McGinnis is going to join us later. We've had a list of guys. If they had a call such as that where they're that emotional, I, that probably would be criticized here in the States somewhat, right? Yeah. I mean, we just don't see anything quite to that that level. I mean, you got to understand, these, these two, um, you know, middle-aged adults are sobbing, are weeping, yes. are, are, are crying on air. You know, like they, they're they're losing their minds as if they're having some sort of, you know, spiritual, you know, experience kind of thing. And um, it's just unbelievable between the Argentine broadcaster and then also Andres Cantor. And then, you know, you contrast it with, you know, uh, the Fox broadcast, uh, John Strong, Stu Holden on that one. Jenny Taft, you know, was on the sidelines for, for the big one. And, you know, you know, I do want to mention how Strong handled things. He just had a final call of simply the word yes when that that final penalty kick went in and then over two minutes of laying out of letting, you know, the the sights and sounds uh, from the the truck uh, handle things. And um, so it is kind of interesting, these contrasts. But, 
that um you know national pride that you know the these these countries announcers have holy smokes soccer football is a tough game to have this really emotional home run game winning call because generally the clock just runs out and that's it the fact that it went to penalty kicks sets up the moment that you can at least have that call at the end as opposed to you're up to nothing and the clock just runs out. There is no final out or shot or play. It's just the clock runs out. That is it. Champion crowned. But in this moment, you got the penalty kick and you had an opportunity to have a final, a finality without the clock rolling out, which made it much more emotional, I guess, for the two broadcasters and of course John Strong on Fox uh who simply just said yes that's right yep yeah so that that was that was um I thought I thought that was well done as far as that side of things and you know that puts a wrap on the World Cup and you know a lot of criticism as far as you know the the Fox coverage especially as as we've mentioned here you know sort of the studio show and you know the 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 political sides of things and all in all these things but um all in all to me I mean I love the World Cup. I thought it was a, a fascinating tournament. There was so much excitement. I thought the game coverage, which is what we focus on here, um, was was excellent. You know, for the most part, and um, you know, and I feel like I, I I got to know some of these broadcasters that much more. You know, guys like Strong and Holden. I don't watch much MLS, you know, or much soccer in the four years in between the World Cup, but I'm kind of glued to, to everything the World Cup has to offer, and it's going to be huge when it comes here to North America in four years. Absolutely. All right, uh, so the World Cup in the books. Argentina is your champion, and, of course, uh, four years from now, it will be in the States, as Phil just chronicled there. All right, we had wild ending there. You heard wild calls. We had wild calls in the NFL. We had wild games starting Saturday with that early game, and it pretty much went all the way through the week. Yeah, I mean, this was, you know, by most uh, observers, as wild of a week as, as you can imagine in the NFL as far as some of these games, you know, crazy comebacks, crazy plays to finish games. And, you know, one of the themes of our podcast has been how so much of a, of a good – game broadcast or you know how how an, a, an announcer you know gets gets credit or, or or visibility and that kind of thing is you know what kind of game he gets you know in terms of the actual quality of the game itself and the broadcasters who had some of these wild games you know Colts Vikings was 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 kind of unreal with Noah Eagle and Nate Burleson on that call on the NFL network I do want to mention on on that one Burleson um Trampled over Noah Eagle a little bit. You know, I, I was listening to a couple of the calls where, you know, Eagle had these big plays and so forth. And Burleson was literally kind of talking over him a little. And we we talk about that skill as far as the analyst knowing to let the play-by-play announcer call the big play and then let let it lay out, let it breathe and that kind of thing. And it seems like Burleson might not have that experience yet. Um, you know, I know he's he's a fairly – up-and-coming big name, you know, in, in some of the things he's already done. He's going to be on this Nickelodeon broadcast coming up. But I think someone uh, might want to, you know, gently, you know, have that discussion with him as far as, you know, the, the appropriate time to jump in on yeah. those big plays because it did affect 
the broadcast. And I wasn't the only one who noticed that, no doubt. But um, so I, I just wanted to point that out. But other games, Dolphins, Bills, Kugler, Sanchez, Jags, Cowboys, Burkhart, Olsen, um, Titans, Chargers had Catalan, uh, former guest of the podcast on play by play. And then Ian Eagle and Charles Davis had the Lions Jets game, which was wild as well. But nothing touched this Raiders Patriots uh, action that we saw in that final play. Yeah, we had uh, Kenny Albert and Jonathan Vilma uh, with the call on just a bonkers play to end that game. We'll have that for you right now here on the announcer schedules podcast. Take a listen. Mac Hollins out on defense. He's all the way back. Uh, Stevenson is is inside the 30, flips it back. Stanford band nowhere in sight. Uh Uh-oh. It's picked off. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. Unbelievable. Oh, wow. Incredible. Chandler Jones takes it in and wins the game for the Raiders. Have you ever seen an ending? I have like never one? seen anything like that. I have no idea why he was doing that. Oh my goodness. All right, so the Stanford band gets a reference there. You had uh, Jonathan Vilma just in utter shock. It sounded like he was talking over a little bit too because he couldn't believe what he was witnessing. Yeah, I, you know, I, I noticed that as well. So Jonathan Vilmus, but I, I think it's different than what we were talking about before, because this literally yeah. was so shocking <laughs> that you almost can't help yourself, but, but make some sort of, you know, uh, reaction to it. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a play and, you know, talk about a um, uh, blessing as far as an announcer's opportunity to call a play like that. Well, let's take a listen on the national radio. This is Mark Kestrister, who's been a guest of the podcast. But to hear, you know, the radio call, you've got to be a little bit more descriptive of a play that is so wild. Take a listen. Three seconds to go. It's a handoff. Stevenson up the middle. Breaks one tackle at the 50 to the 45. 40. Stiff Army's free at the 35. Drops it behind it to Jacoby Myers, who circles and laterals it. And it's intercepted by the Raiders. Going the other way. Down the sideline at the 20-yard line to the 10-yard line. Touchdown, Vegas. What? There's Mark Kestrister, and you hear him, you know, he's laughing as uh, the ball is it's intercepted. I mean, what am I watching right here? Yeah, I mean, it is just a, a, a shocking deal. And, you know, I kind of try to uh, visualize what it would be like to be up in that booth uh, with, with Mark or with one of these announcers. And, you know, you've got to um, keep your cool in terms of making sure you do your job at the same time you know describing the action that the you know the the bread and butter of it all and i thought uh kesty no surprise there did a great job this is uh the home team new england patriot radio uh who obviously is on the losing end of the call uh stunner take a listen on a third and ten three seconds left Jones will give it to Stevenson. He's trying to run. He runs it up the middle. Hit by Chandler. Jones slips and hit across the 45 with a stiff arm. Off the tackle of the 40. He lost the football. And Jacoby Myers picks it up. He circles back and he throws it across the field. Oh my Jones God. is picked up by Chandler Jones. He breaks away to the 30. He runs to the 20. He runs to the 10. He runs to the end zone. Unreal. Touchdown. Raiders. Good night. This might be one of the dumbest teams I've ever seen. 
and the frustration there, as you heard, this might be one of the dumbest games I've ever seen. They obviously had a lot of plays in that game the Patriots did that were some head scratchers, but that one on top of the list. Yeah, Bob Sochi and Scott Zolak, and <laughs> Zolak not afraid to, you know, uh, share his his disdain for for it all and just the, um, but uh, yeah, a shocker and um, you know, the other st- two sides to every coin. Well, let's as, listen. You know, what- let's listen to the other side of the coin. This is Jason Horowitz on Raiders Radio uh, on the winning side. Mac Jones hands it off on a draw to Ramondre Stevenson, breaks out of a tackle at the 50, has the 45, breaks away from another tackle, pitches it backwards, and now Jacoby Myers spinning around, he throws it to Taylor Jones in midfield, and a step forward, Taylor Jones racing towards the end zone, and it scores, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I can't believe what I just saw, again, I can't believe what I just saw. This is unbelievable. (laughs) Wow. On the first night of Hanukkah, it's a miracle in Las Vegas. (laughs) There's a Hanukkah reference from Jason Horowitz. You don't hear that too often. Jason Horowitz, of course, you probably recognize his voice. Uh, He does a lot of college basketball during the tournaments around that time as well. He's also, uh, we talk a lot on the podcast, Phil, about the uh, Cowboys have a national radio with Kevin Ray and Danny White, as do the Raiders. You can also get that from Compass Media. The Raiders also have a national broadcast as well. Yeah, Horowitz's first season in this role, taking over for Brent Musburger. You yes. know, we we had chronicled that story uh, earlier this summer. And Lincoln Kennedy, his his analyst, and I like Lincoln's uh, reaction to that wild play as well. Right, he can't believe what he just saw. That's a uh, you know very famous radio reference there. I don't believe what I just saw. You know, you see that play there. We heard it from four different styles. You had the television call, the national radio, and then the two home broadcasts. The theme that was concurrent in all of them was the fact that they could not believe what they were witnessing there. Yeah, I mean, it's it it's wild, you know, to, to have a play like that, and you've got to keep your cool to 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 know what the heck's going on. And that's where you know the professionals in this business, all, all of which we just heard there, you know, um, they've done it for so long that that part kind of comes natural but to also hear sort of the the um guttural emotion and reaction to plays like that at the same time uh makes it uh special to to be able to reflect on those and um glad we're able to to showcase them all on the show today all right uh we're gonna be talking with tom mcginnis in the podcast so make sure you stick around for that that's coming up in just a little bit the radio voice of the philadelphia 76ers uh he'll be joining us and He'll be telling us a little bit about his story. He's calling a game on Christmas Day. Uh, That's coming up today on the Announcer Schedule podcast. Don't forget, rate, review, subscribe, like, share. Uh, Get it out there for your friends. Keep letting us grow. Keep letting us do the podcast. You can get us on the Sports Media Watch feed. Uh, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know comes out on Tuesdays. Sports Media Watch uh, with uh, TJ and John comes out generally on Wednesdays. They talk about the ratings and uh, that type of stuff. And then, of course, Phil and I are here on Thursdays with the Announcer Scheduled podcast where we kind of chronicle all of the announcers, and we will continue to do that here 
Uh, we'll take a look at all these bowl games coming up, the NFL, we got the NBA, and then kind of a little bit of a year in review still coming on the podcast. Yeah, lo- looking forward to things, and it's a busy time of year, obviously a chance to, to catch a lot of games on, on television while you're, you're juggling you know, other, you know, holiday gatherings and that kind of thing. And, you know, this Christmas weekend is, is a unique one. You know, the way the NFL schedule lines up, um, of course, NBA on, on Christmas Day and, you know, uh, gets going tonight, Thursday night with, you know, Thursday night NFL game, Jags and Jets. You know, the Amazon crew will be on that one. Uh, Westwood One Radio, Ian Eagle and Jason McCourty on the sh- on the uh, call tonight. And then also tonight, if you're assuming you're listening to the show when we're we're taping on, Thursday, uh, the Armed Forces Bowl with uh, Baylor and Air Force, Brian Cooster, Dustin Fox, Lauren Sisler on the ESPN call, and then Bowl Season Radio on the call as well, Brian Estridge, Landry Burdine, and Chris McCoskey. So an opportunity to get things started yes. uh, early here on Thursday, and then uh, a couple more bowl games on Friday, and then that NFL schedule starts Saturday. So, Phil, let's take a look at some of the bowl games now. We have that Thursday night NFL game. We have the Thursday night uh, college game, which you talked about. But the bowl games are pretty much coming full-fledged now, starting today all the way through New Year's, uh, actually January 2nd. Yeah, you know, bowl games all the, all this past week. Uh, you know, there's a couple more on Friday, the 23rd, the Independence Bowl, Louisiana and Houston. Uh, Dave Neal, Deuce McAllister on the call there for ESPN. The Gasparilla Bowl, uh, Wake Forest in Missouri with Chris Cotter uh, handling play-by-play on the TV side. Bill Roth handling play-by-play for bowl season radio. Then actually, you know, there's – um, the the Bulls take a little bit of a of a of a breather through the weekend because there's so much NFL action. Uh, the the only bowl game over Christmas weekend is the Hawaii Bowl, San Diego State in Middle Tennessee. The announcers fortunate enough for this assignment in Hawaii, Mike Monaco, Rod Gilmore, and Quint Kucinich on TV, and Kevin Winter and Jack Ford are handling the, the radio side. And then bowl games kick back into gear uh, next week. Um, next week is just loaded. Um, you will have a grand total. Let me see if I got this right. 17 bowls from Monday the 26th through Friday the 30th. Um, that's a lot of bowl games for you, for you to take in. A lot of announcers getting opportunities and uh, hope folks enjoy all that. And, you know, it, it um, culminates with, you know, those playoff games on the 31st, Saturday the 31st, um, including, um, you know, Fiesta Bowl and, and Peach Bowl playoff games, Ohio State, Georgia, TCU, Michigan, but also – you know, you've got a couple bowls during the day that day as well, you know, including the Sugar Bowl. And then New Year's Day is the NFL. Monday, January the 2nd is kind of the traditional New Year's Day bowl game uh, day. And uh, you've got all those bowls as well, including the Rose Bowl on the night of the 2nd. So plenty of bowl action, plenty of college football still uh, for your enjoyment. Yeah, and I got to say, from uh, doing this podcast, Phil, I was introduced to bowl season radio. And we've actually picked up a couple of their games uh, here on my radio station. And I come to find out that those guys are all uh, WVU, uh, a lot of WVU guys who have uh, a kind of uh, a hand in that. Mike Parsons, when I was at WVU, when I did the base, I did the play-by-play for WVU baseball, 
and women's basketball, he was uh, part of the athletic department there. And I guess, uh, you know, once he left there, he is now a part of this bowl season radio because I signed up to carry the games. I got an email from Mike Parsons. I said, is this the same Mike Parsons from WVU? And I noticed that everything I was getting was coming from Morgantown, West Virginia. And I saw one of the play-by-players was Travis Jones, who I believe does the WVU women's basketball, or at least he did at one point. Um, he might do the baseball team down there. But I noticed a lot of WVU ties and some Big 12 ties that were kind of calling these games. So uh, shout out to uh, Bowl Season Radio. They do a nice job, and they you know give you another option for those radio stations out there if you're a programmer um, that are looking to maybe fill an afternoon, give your guys a day off. That's what we did on Tuesday. We carried a bowl game so the whole staff could take off. And, uh, yeah, nice nice job by Bowl Season Radio. Yeah, and these bowl games providing some good weekday uh, viewing options, you know, throughout the week. And, you know, we've talked about that a bit as far as, you know, that being, um, you know, desirable to, to a lot of us. And, and certainly during the, these holidays, you never know when you're going to have kind of the off time and kind of cool to have games going on on a, a random Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon. Yep. Uh, so there you go. A lot of bowls. And then uh, the NFL this weekend, uh, we got the CBS uh, Christmas Eve is a Saturday slate, full Saturday slate for CBS and Fox, and then a trimmed down Christmas slate of games, three games on Christmas. So the full slate this week is actually on Saturday. Yeah, Christmas Eve getting the, the majority Don't of like the it. action. Don't like it. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's really kind of – um, a, a shift in, in so many ways, uh, definitely not something in our comfort zone uh, for the most part. I can't, I can't think of much precedent. Well, but, you know, you know it does this, make... this might be a question more for TJ and, and, uh, and uh, John. 425 on Christmas Eve, what kind of ratings is Eagles Cowboys going to get? I mean, that is a prime time mass time. A lot of people go to that 4:30 mass on Saturday, and that is your best game of the weekend. I'm very intrigued to see what the ratings. I'm sure they're going to do great, but did they pick that game for 4:30 on Christmas Eve? I think that was an interesting choice. Yeah, it's it's sort of interesting, kind of what college football has done with New Year's Eve in in some ways. Um, a lot of this is just, I think, the the practicality of of you know the days of the week that these holidays have landed on, and you know maybe choosing between a Saturday Christmas Eve versus a Sunday Christmas Day. There's no bowl games on on Saturday, so um, there's no competition there. Um, you know, it does make me think back to last year at this time. Um, you know, we put out listings every every day as far as you know the national sporting events and what announcers are calling the games. Well, last year Christmas Eve. The Hawaii Bowl, which was scheduled for Christmas Eve, also on this Christmas Eve, we'll, we'll see it on on Saturday night, was canceled uh, due to, I believe, a COVID situation. And so there was no major live U.S. sporting events on Christmas Eve last year. The NFL, the NBA, the NHL, college football, men's and women's college basketball were all dormant last Christmas Eve. So we're going from one extreme to another. You know, as far as zero games televised live uh, one year ago on Christmas Eve to now a full slate of NFL games. 
And uh, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure, like you said, I'm sure it'll do just fine in terms of the ratings and that kind of thing. But it is an adjustment in terms of, you know, folks as far as, you know, perhaps their traditional holiday plans and so forth. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. I got to be honest. Uh, The 430 Christmas Eve, I'd rather have games on Christmas Day all day long. It seems that Christmas Day is more of a day where people are just kind of sitting around Christmas Eve, you're bouncing from house to house, or maybe you're going. You know, my girlfriend's son has a band concert at 4:30 on Christmas Eve. I will be missing part of the Eagles game. Not thrilled. I got to be honest. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's. By the way, Fox obviously feels that that game is going to be well viewed because they're going with their top team, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Will get the call uh, for that, and uh, obviously. Uh, that is their number one team, and um, that's the way they're handling that. Uh, let's get into, by the way, Tom McGinnis is going to be joining us a little bit later on in the podcast here, the voice of the 76ers, and talk about the NBA on Christmas Day because he will be a radio voice locally, of course, for the Sixers. Uh, but we got a full slate of games for the NBA on Christmas Day. Yeah, full slate of games on, on Christmas Day. This has become a, a tradition that, that people, I think, are, are getting very used to. Uh, starts with that 76ers-Knicks game that uh, Tom McGinnis will be on the call for the, the Sixers call. Uh, Ryan Rucco, J.J. Redick, and Cassie Hubberth on the ESPN and ABC call for this one. You know, these games being simulcast on both ESPN and ABC. Um, Lakers-Mavericks at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. That's Dave Pash. Hubie Brown, uh, you know, making his uh, debut this season. Uh, can't wait to see him as the analyst for that one. Monica McNutt reporting. Uh, Bucks Celtics, that's the 5 p.m. Christmas Day game, and that'll be interesting because that that's the game that's going up kind of head-to-head against the, the NFL that day. Mark Jones, Doris Burke, Malika Andrews on the television call. Sean Kelly and Corey Alexander on ESPN Radio. And then that evening, Grizzlies-Warriors, the primetime game, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Breen, Van Gundy, Jackson, Salters, that that number one uh, ABC ESPN team on television. Marques Asher and P.J. Carlesimo on ESPN Radio. And then there's a late game, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, Suns and Nuggets, Beth Moens, Richard Jefferson, and George Sedano reporting. So, you know, a uh, grand total of five games on Christmas Day. Um, you know, so plenty of NBA action for you on the hardwood. All right, uh, there you go. So there's a look at all the announcers that are happening uh, this week. NBA, college football, college bowl games, um, the NFL, obviously. We have this uh, Christmas schedule, so we have a lot of stuff there. Uh, and then, of course, we gave you the New Year's Eve, all that stuff, Music City Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Peach Bowl, all the New Year's uh, – well, the, the typical New Year's Day's Bowl are now being played on January 2nd. You also have the – what do they call that in hockey? I'm having a, bl- a blank here. The, state, uh, the Winter the Classic. The Winter Classic is also going to be on January the 2nd this year, so they're going to be going up against all the bowl games there. Um, so there you go. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. As the year is coming to a close... 
we wanted to take a look back at 2022 with some reflections on the announcer year of 2022, Phil. Yeah, I mean, there's one story that just absolutely overshadows all the others, which is the, you know, the the NFL booth shakeup and, you know, some of those contracts that were signed and, and moves that were made, the anticipation of, of how those booths were going to work themselves out and so forth. And, you know, now that, you know, we're, you know, already to week 16 of the NFL season, you know, obviously th- things are in place. But uh, that was a huge story for so much of the year. And, you know, um, you know, anyone covering sports media, this was the, the focus for the majority of the year, I would say, in the, in the number one story by far. Fox ending up, you know, with Kevin Burkhart and, and Greg Olson. There was a lot of discussion as, of who that team would be after Joe Buck and Troy Aikman left Fox for ESPN. Um, you know, Al Michaels leaving NBC. Uh, going to Amazon, Kirk Herbstreet, you know, uh, you know, becoming a, you know, a regular NFL announcer, uh, joining that crew as well. Kaylee Hartung going from the news side to, to sports, uh, joining the Amazon crew. And then, you know, Mike Tirico taking over for Michaels at with NBC, uh, Collinsworth, the analyst, um, you know, uh, staying in that role. And then Melissa Stark uh, getting that job as well on the sidelines for NBC. But enormous contracts, you know, unprecedented you know, in terms of the financial figures. And there's still this Tom Brady story kind of like waiting in the wings. You know, he signed that huge deal that was announced with Fox, just uh, mind-boggling numbers there that upon his retirement, he would join the number one crew. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation that, you know, that day might not ever be seen even. Um, you know, there, you know, there's people saying that he'll, he'll never end up in the booth. Or there's others saying that, you know, um, you know, he's still a couple years or a year away from retirement. Who knows? But there was a lot to talk about in terms of those NFL booths this past year. There was. And uh, the Tom Brady thing, I know I talked to a couple people about this last week. Uh, and one of them, a pretty prominent uh, broadcaster, said he doesn't think that Brady will ever uh, call a game. So um, we'll see how that all shapes out. Will Brady play next year? I mean, obviously he's been – criticized recently because of his play at three straight turnovers in the game uh, most recently here. So will we see Brady on the field next year? Will we see Brady in the booth ever? I guess you'll have to keep tuned to the announcer schedules podcast in 2023 to find out. And uh, also, you know, we had a lot of great reflections as this was the, the announcer movement that was really uh, unlike any other off season and uh, we had a couple of retirements as well. We had some great voices that have left the booth. Yeah, so you know those big stories in the NFL, of course, with the you know the the shakeup of those booths. But there were other stories that were worth mentioning. Uh, Jason Benetti moving from ESPN to Fox that was a big one. Uh, Jay Wright, you know, we've talked about that quite a bit on the podcast. Um, you know, uh, retiring from Villanova as one of the more successful coaches and. NCAA basketball history. He's part of that CBS crew now. Uh, Brent Messberger leaving Raiders radio. Jason Horowitz taking over there. And Horowitz, we we heard earlier on one of his clips uh, from that that Raiders-Patriots game. Aaron Murray and Brock Osweiler uh, both joining ESPN uh, on the college football side. Jamie Erdahl 
um, going to host Good Morning Football, and that opened up the number one uh, CBS college football reporting role, and uh, Jenny Dell uh, getting elevated into that spot, working with Brad Nessler and Gary Danielson. And then you mentioned the retirements, Gene Deckerhoff of Florida State, Mick Hubert of Florida. I mean, these two guys had been going for decades down there in the Sunshine State, Seminoles and Gators Radio, respectively. They both retired. Joe Starkey of Cal, you know, who called the the play. Uh, we had a Stanford band reference earlier in the show, and uh, Starkey was in the middle of all that. Once upon a time, he retired. Steve Fiziok retired uh, from a long career with a bunch of different teams, including the Royals most recently. And Jaime Harin, the Dodgers Spanish voice for decades, uh, retired as well. So I want to give a, a shout out to all of them, and hopefully they're enjoying their you know, life in retirement uh, post-broadcasting, but they brought a lot of great memories to fans over the years. Yes, they did. Uh, some great voices, some great memories, and we chronicled a lot of them on the uh, Announcer Schedule podcast. We also had some sad news throughout 2022 with some very prominent names uh, that you had heard in your sports life for years who passed away this year. Yeah, it's always sad to kind of reflect on some of these names, but at the same time we want to, you know, um, keep their memories going, you know, as blessings here. And the the names that we were able to compile as far as the, the most notable um, from the, the sports media and broadcasting side of things, John Clayton um, passed away this year, you know, an incredible uh, reporter and broadcaster for free ESPN over the years, you know, became, you know, uh, kind of a cult figure in a lot of ways, did some great work also, up in the uh, Seattle market, which is where his home was. Um, he passed away. Uh, Len Dawson, you know, the, the Hall of Fame quarterback, you know, a big part of that HBO Inside the NFL show for years and then part of the Chiefs radio broadcast for years. Ron Franklin, um, a big-time uh, voice for decades with ESPN on the play-by-play side of things, uh, especially on the college football, also the NFL side. Hank Goldberg, someone near and dear to my heart, who I got to know quite a bit over my career, uh, a big staple down in the Miami sports radio market. Uh, His name actually came up on our podcast when we were talking to Bob Wastusen and in his roots. Um, And then he evolved into a national personality where he was a gambling pundit and also a horse racing analyst for ESPN. Fred Hickman of uh, CNN Sports, uh, early pioneer. Alan Massengale, a uh, ESPN Sports Center anchor as well. Dave McClellan from the NHRA drag racing role. Bill Russell, the Hall of Fame uh basketball player obviously for the for the Boston Celtics one of the greatest basketball players in in the history of the sport uh had a a broadcasting career that a lot of people may have kind of forgotten about but was prolific for for several years there uh broadcasting NBA games uh for CBS Vin Scully of course uh we spent a couple of episodes chronicling uh the career of Vin Scully uh he has uh, paved the way for so many announcers goes without saying the longtime voice of the Dodgers, Dick Versace, uh, a um, NBA voice, you know, did a lot of work with TNT and TBA, the uh, or TBS rather on um, NBA coverage, the uh, former coach. And then finally, and most recently, the sad news of the passing of Grant Wall, 
one of the most prolific soccer journalists um, across the world. And uh, he had done some on-air work as well for Fox Sports over the years. And just want to give our respects to all those who, who passed away this year and uh, appreciate their legacies. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the first one, John Clayton there, by the way, was a regular guest on my show. I got to know John over the years, uh, his football knowledge. And uh, when I heard the news, it was, it was very sad. And that was uh, really a list of uh, very, very uh, impactful uh, broadcasters there. So the announcer scheduled podcast for 2022. It was born in 2022. And uh, this will be the final episode of 2022. And Phil, we want to thank uh, the people who have made the podcast possible and popular and the people who are listening, all the supporters out there uh, from the start date to where we are today. We've had a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been great. Um, you know, big thanks to TJ Reeves and and uh, John Lewis, you know, for creating the platform for us and that Sports Media Watch feed. And, you know, thanks to you, uh, Mike, and, and uh, us getting this thing off the ground. It's been a lot of fun starting on, on May 26th. As you mentioned, we had our first guest on, on June the 9th. That was John Forslund, the NHL announcer. And then, you know, several uh, guests from that point forward, Bob Wasjusen, Kevin Kugler, Rick Allen, Mark Kestisher, Larry Colmus uh, from Horse Racing, Roxy Bernstein, Barry Tompkins, you know, the longtime boxing announcer, uh, was, was uh, just an awesome uh, get for us. Uh, Tom McCarthy, Andrew Catalan, Mike Cousins, Dave Sims, who took time out of you know the playoff run for the Seattle Mariners, uh, was able to check in with us. Uh, Carl Ravage, who was also on the scene for you know, um, uh, Major League Baseball playoffs as well, uh, was able to check in with us. You mentioned Sean Grandy earlier, his, you know, uh, globe trotting, uh, able to tell that story to us, Connor Onion, and then, you know, today's guest, uh, Tom McGinnis. So appreciate all them making time for us. And, you know, just a big thanks to everybody who has helped and helped support and helped grow the podcast. Yeah, uh, you know, real quick, just to kind of hit back there, when we started this, you know, John Forslund, we got, he was getting ready to call, uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs. You know, uh, he, he was doing the national call for Sports USA. Bob Wischusen, of course, uh, he's the Jets play-by-player, but some great stories about, you know, bouncing around from doing college football to college basketball. And then the NFL, Kevin Kugler, Westwood One, he does college basketball, college football, NFL. You regularly hear his name. Rick Allen was at the start of the NASCAR season. Mark Kesterser, uh, who, of course, is the voice on uh, ESPN Radio, the NBA, Larry Colmus might have been my favorite conversation. He was fun. Uh, he is the voice of the Triple Crown on NBC. That was just an awesome interview. Go back and listen to that. Roxy Bernstein, who, of course, is all over ESPN, baseball, um, basketball, football, college sports. Uh, Barry Tompkins, I remember texting you, hey, you want to have Barry Tompkins on? And the excitement that you had uh, when I was able to get Barry Tompkins to come on, the, of course, the Hall of Fame boxing uh, and, you know, Barry told some great stories. Tom McCarthy, I know him here locally with the Phillies, but he's a big national name on uh, CBS football and college football and college basketball. Andrew Catalan, we had a, some great stories with him, uh, who, of course, does CBS NFL and some other you know, college games. Mike Cousins, another young guy uh, who's been bouncing all over doing ESPN radio for basketball and football and baseball. Dave Sims, as you mentioned, we got him on the day. The Mariners were playing in the playoffs. Carl Ravitch was doing the Phillies game that day for ESPN Radio. Sean Grandy, who had the trip 
uh, from Italy to Boston in the same day. Connor Onion had the Maction and Tom McGinnis. There we go. The voice of the Sixers is coming up right now here on the Announcer Schedule podcast. We will see you guys in 2023. Enjoy our conversation with Tom McGinnis, everybody. Well, let's check in with Tom McGinnis right now. He's our guest this week on the Announcer Schedules podcast. He is the longtime radio voice of the Philadelphia 76ers, and he'll be calling Sixers Knicks on Christmas Day. And uh, you can, of course, hear that in the Philadelphia area, uh, including 97.5 The Fanatic, their flagship station down the shore on 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, the longtime voice of the Philadelphia 76ers, Tom McGinnis, joins us this week on the Announcer Schedules podcast. Tom, welcome to the podcast, buddy. How are you? I'm great, Mike. Thank you for having me. Happy holidays. Absolutely. Uh, happy holidays to you. And, you know, Phil and I were talking last week on the pod about the Christmas schedule coming up. So we figured, why not talk to somebody who's going to be doing a game on Christmas? And I happen to have someone in my phone, Tom McGinnis, to uh, reach out to. And tell us a little bit about that, Tom. What is it like preparing you got Christmas shopping or holiday shopping or whatever shopping you're doing. You've got a schedule of games going on. And, oh, by the way, you're traveling and working on Christmas. So tell us a little bit about the days leading up to a Christmas broadcast. Well, for starters, you know, we have a game on Friday the 23rd. So that's uh, something you got to take care of as we've had this unprecedented homestand of seven games in, in 18 days, which, oh, by the way, you pay for, like on traveling for Christmas. Uh, but first of all, as a you know, as somebody who's in the NBA, it's kind of a privilege and an honor, really. I mean, the league got calls from several teams that wanted to be a part. They felt like they were worthy uh, for that marquee date, if you will, on Christmas. It's really the number one day of programming for the NBA uh, during the regular season, and has been for a lot of years. So they probably could have had eight games, you know, this year with the different matchups. Uh, so in that sense, there's a, a sense of pride, you know, that the Sixers have been selected and whatnot. And uh, and then again, there's the part, and Mike, you know this, like the, the building, the center always for years has hosted Disney on ice. So this has always been uh, a period where we go out on the road and so does the hockey team, the Flyers. So without even playing this game, like for years of, I've done this 28 years and of course the COVID years, like, so 25 or 26 years, we've always left on Christmas, whether we played on Christmas and the first time in my career that we did was the year after the Sixers and Lakers played in the finals. We played on Christmas in LA, like I believe it would have been in 2002, but you know, we, we definitely played like the 26 for years, started a West coast trip. So at a certain stage, you block out, you know, you emotionally wall off the fact that you're not having a typical holiday, and then you kind of front load the holiday spirit with your family for Christmas Eve because, you know, we typically left on Christmas. But, you know, for this year, the game's at noon, and we're actually bringing our family to New York. We're, we're lucky in that way that it's close, and then they can come right back uh, to our home here in the Philadelphia region. But, you know, when you play a noon game, that, that's a different thing right there. Most of our games are at 7 or 7.30. So, really, the preparation, uh, and I mean, like, rest and everything, diet starts the night before. And when you go to New York and you play, because the Knicks with the Rangers, oftentimes at MSG, you play you play a noon game on a Sunday. You almost get kind of che- felt cheated that you didn't get a whole nother day in New York. Uh, 
because you have to be there and, and get up so early. So the second you get up, it's game day, right? So, But it's exciting. And certainly this year, with the way the two teams are playing, I know New York just had its streak snapped by Toronto, but the Sixers are rolling. The Knicks are rolling for the first times in years. The building at Madison Square Garden is so exciting. It's still probably the top venue. Uh, it's the Mecca, as they say. So it's all good, and uh, it's really exciting for sure. I mean, it, it, it pulses through you once the game starts. Tom, thanks for joining us this afternoon, and uh, congrats on, on getting that opportunity to call a game on, on Christmas Day. It is indeed an, an honor, no doubt. Can you tell us a little bit about the travel itself? Uh, do you travel with the team on, on the charter and so forth, or do you make adjustments when there, there's shorter trips like this one up to New York City? No, I, I'm with the team pretty much the whole way. Like, uh, you know, you have to pass one. Your, your travel plan, sometimes the TV personnel, they don't they might not do a game by the way they're not doing the game because it's on ESPN. They, some of these network games, they don't do. But for me, uh, I'm pretty much doing every single game, and I always put with the team all year. But this is an exception just because our family, and a lot of the families are going on a train up there together, but uh, my, my peeps will be coming back uh, here to South Jersey, and we'll be moving on. So, yeah, the travel, look, the travel is, is, is not tough. The travel couldn't be more first class, okay? You're staying in the finest hotels. As you say, you're flying in a charter airplane or a charter train, which I've always loved going down to D.C. or up to New York, you know. And, but it's the, it's the sleep deprivation. That's, that's what, even after home games, that's what's the tough thing in, in, in our world. You know, this is the entertainment business. That's part of the Christmas Day game, right? It's you know, for years, there was no programming on Christmas. In my old life, I was a sportscaster on TV, and you always made sure you had a, a homespun, really warm feature in the can, so to speak, to run, because there was like the blue-gray college football game, and that was it. Um, so, you know, the, the NBA, and it's a, it's a lot, right, with the, the number of games in a span of six months, 82 games, and then, Lord willing, you know, a month or two in the playoffs, but it's it's really the four and five and six hours sleep and, and broken up like that. That's I think what makes it tough. And and the NBA is paying a lot of attention. All of the pro sports teams are with the athletes. Uh, but that you really can't get away from. That that part's not easy. Tom, we've talked to other announcers about you know traveling with the team on on the team plane. But that's the first I've ever heard of a charter train. Can you tell us a little more about yeah. that and how that, what that well, entails? You know, here in the Northeast Corridor, yeah, it's it's not uncommon, Phil. Like uh, I know other teams have done it too. And it's a neat way to break it up. I mean, you you, you kind of harken back to the Yankees and Babe Ruth and all those guys riding the trains uh, back in the day a uh, hundred years or so ago. But yeah, no, there's definitely you know you get three or four cars. I'll give you a funny story. Years ago, one of the storms. Um, it was the mayor of Washington was on our train. He boarded the train in Newark. And if you recall, the, you know, the mayor prior was Marion Barry, and he had some issues, right? And one time he was away in the Caribbean. So the, the mayor at this time, and this would have been like, I don't know, 2001, 2002 or whatever, he was away. And he had to make sure he got back to the district to be on site with everything that was going on with emergency, emergency preparedness. And whatnot. So he was on our train. That was like one of the only times that it was not a charter train. And, and I think there were actually cars worth, you know, excuse me, but like regular people. But most of the time, it's like three or four cars and there's food and 
Yeah, I mean, and you pay Amtrak just like you would a charter air service, uh, but it's not uncommon. I know the baseball teams do it, and uh, and other teams do it as well, and it's neat. I mean, the train is, I love the train, and, uh, you know, meanwhile, you're humming along at 100 miles an hour at 1 in the morning, but other than that, it's, it's a fun ride. <laughs> uh, Tom McGinnis is our guest here on the Announcer Schedules podcast. Now, about a month back, we had Sean Grandy on from the Celtics. Did you see his story that he called the MMA fight in Italy and then got back the same day to do a Celtics game. Have you ever had something, I don't know if to rival that, but you talk about travel. We love to hear from the different broadcasters. It happens a lot for these guys who do multiple sports. You know, you're doing a football game, a college game Saturday. They might do college basketball, stuff like that. Have you had a, a wonky travel experience in your time, Tom? Well, for sure. Now, I'm not, I, I'm principally and only really the 76ers announcers, which, you know, and, and this is enough for me. Uh, and I and I love it. It's been a, a great career and I, I enjoy, enjoy it so much. But speaking of trains to Washington, there was, and we've done that, you know, you know Mark Zumoff, of course, did the Sixers on TV, for, TV forever. Uh, and there was one instance going down to D.C. where, we were going to take the train and, you know, the iconic uh, schedule board at 30th Street Station with the clicking and whatnot. And so our train was delayed. And there was a certain point where both Mark and I figured, hey, we better we better drive. Like there was, a, there, as always, there's a few trains, but it was getting close because you had to factor in however many hours, whatever. And so we drove and we got there and it's funny, we pulled in right when the team bus was pulling in. So to everybody else, it was no harm, no foul. And now come to think of it, another train trip to Washington, the train actually stopped on the tracks. And again, I think this was when we were, you know, myself for sure going separate and apart, you know, look, there's strength in numbers to be a part of the group is, is way, you know, that's the way you want to go. But in this one instance, another time, like I say, the train stopped and we had to transfer trains somewhere there in Maryland. And think about that with those rocks in the train bed. And it wasn't like mind the gap. There's a three inch gap. There was one guy and I helped had to be lifted off the train and we handed him to like a conductor and they had to walk across the rocky train bed to get to the other train that they'd sent to move us on down the So Jeez. mine aren't that crazy because I'm not going to and fro and trying to get to other games. But like I say, if you get away from the – and we've had any number of, of flights where we've had to stay on the plane for years. But, again, it's kind of like that old Jackson Brown song where you have country and western on the bus, videos, magazine. you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're on a chartered aircraft, and there's a number, of, including sleep and food and conversation where – you're able to fill the time probably a little bit easier than it would be on a packed commercial flight. You just mentioned fill the time, Tom. You are one of the few guys that does the game by yourself. No analysts with you for Sixers radio games. Talk about filling the time and doing games by yourself. Well, the filling the time quotient, you were talking about travel, That that's actually maybe even <laughs> – uh, that'd be an interesting angle to pursue because that I'm, I'd lead the league in that right there in terms of what you do on the road and how you fill so much uh, a vacuum of time on planes, on buses, in hotel rooms. But 
to your point, Mike, and, I, and obviously I, I get this a lot, because at a market our size, uh, to do the games by yourself comes as a bit of an anomaly. But there are, you know, certainly around the NBA, six or seven teams where the guy does the game solo. And then there's some amalgamation of where, you know, you might have somebody with him on the home games, but that person doesn't travel. And then the guy does the games by himself. But, you know, first of all, there's so much stimuli, right? You have two teams with five players out there, three referees, the teams and the storylines that go with it, a, a bunch of responsibilities in terms of marketing, uh, add-ins, if you will, or drop-ins, and then, of course, the corporate sponsorship reads and whatnot. And, you know, like, I, I played a little bit. I've been around basketball my whole life. I'm, I'm really intricately tied into the storylines of our team and our players. And I find the storytelling compelling. You know, like we played Detroit middle of this week, and they had Jer- Jalen Dern, who's from Philadelphia, and went to Roman Catholic. And after the game, I saw a bunch of his people with them. You know, like you try to impart those types of things in addition to describing the game so that people can kind of feel and see what's going on out there. And I've never, I did, here's the part, I I did minor league basketball in what was then the Continental Basketball Association, the CBA. It was the G League of its time 30-something years ago. And prior to that, the Eastern League. And so I did the games at that level by myself. And, you know, the game is the exact same format as the NBA, the time, the schedule, all that stuff, the, the breaks and whatnot, the length of the game. And so filling is never, it's not a challenge. You know, I think sometimes as a seasoned broadcaster, you have to learn when to let it breathe a little bit because you got to remember somebody's only in their car going to Wawa. You know, like they, yeah, they have to be able to figure out what is going on. And if it's too much, well, then, woo, you can't really figure out exactly what's going on. And we're lucky in basketball with so many baskets being scored, right? It's not one to nothing. It's it's 120 to 118. So there's so much activity. But uh, I, for, to get from here to there and be on the air for two and a half or three hours is, is a treat. I ever felt it like, oh, what am I going to talk about? We had a couple situations like once during the, the – well, I think it was last year maybe we were doing the game remotely – and in Dallas, the basket broke. Always my worst a broadcaster's nightmare. <laughs> and I filled like 35 or 40 minutes as they swapped out the basket. And one of the things you're lucky in radio is the number one thing is to describe what you're seeing. And so in that instance, it got a little, it got, you know, I, I, <laughs> I filled the time. It was probably the most boring stint in the history of radio. Somebody waved in, you know, waved in and like, that was hysterical, you know, but it was really just describing what they were doing. Uh, it was Boban Marjanovic who tried to rectify a tilted rim, and Boban went up there and actually made it worse, and they had to swap out the basket down there in Dallas. But uh, those are few and far between. But for the most part, I feel like I can fill the time. Hopefully it's interesting and entertaining for our listeners. Tom, uh, you mentioned the CBA, and you're getting your start in many ways there. And I was reading a little bit about your backstory in – the date, February 25th, 1989, came up. A game between the Hawks and the Bulls. Dominique Wilkins on the Hawks. Michael Jordan, of course, on the Bulls. And you put together a uh, demo tape, I believe, on, on this game. Can you reflect back on that? And I- am I right with those specifics? You are. You are. Um, that, I thought you were going to go into my backstory, which is a whole other deal. <laughs> I've dealt with uh I've dealt with scoliosis and back pain my whole life, but 
No, so I was a TV sportscaster when I talked about another life. You know, I started in South Carolina. I was lucky enough to start in Charleston, South Carolina. So I was the weekend sportscaster, right? So on the weekends, I did the sports on TV. And then during the week, I would be a reporter. And I had two days off, typically like a Monday and Tuesday. And then I ended up in Florida. And at this stage, I was the sports director. But I always had an idea that I wanted to be in the NBA. As a young kid, I would travel from our little town in Spring Valley, Illinois, with my dad and then later with my friends and in college to the Chicago Stadium to watch the Bulls. And, and, and I grew up in an era when Bob Love and Chet Walker and Jerry Sloan and late Norm Van Leer, and the Bulls were really good. And then, you know, we ran, we ran into a fallow period before Michael Jordan got on the Bulls. But, you know, I went there, and I, I was sort of bitten by the bug of the NBA. I loved basketball. I was, as a young player, had a lot of success. We were undefeated for three years in a row. I started on the varsity basketball team for three years. I played college basketball and was around the game quite a bit and just fell in love with it. It was a multi-sport, sorry, but like star. I, I'm in our high school Hall of Fame. I was the quarterback and early on played baseball and, and did that pretty well. But basketball was my first and true love. So when I was in Florida, I would drive to Atlanta and try to make a tape. And I did it for baseball, too. I used to go to the old Fulton County Stadium, and I, was, I would have a pass, right, because I was a sports director, and, and with that I would have the letterhead and the credentials of, of being a television sports director. And, and I would go, and oftentimes I would do an interview with the camera. I would hire an Atlanta cameraman. But really I was there to, as you say, like call the game on a simulated basis so I could make a tape. That's what you need to do in our businesses, as you probably know, talking to all these announcers and being sportscasters yourselves. And that's how you shop your wares, if you will. If you were in the art business, you'd have a portfolio. If you were a writer, obviously, you'd have your written work. Well, this is you know, what, what we needed to do. And I send out that tape, and I send it out to a team in the CBA, and of all places, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So I would do the game, and, and at that time, it was the Omni in Atlanta. They had two rows of press seating. And I would sit in the second row. And it's funny because the, the PR director, I'd done it a number of times. And at a certain point, he was going to kind of cut me up. I wasn't bothering anybody. And I wasn't real loud. I, I had this little tape recorder. And, and I would call the game. And I, obviously with Michael and Dominic, Michael was actually under the weather that day. I went into the locker room and, and chatted him up. And I didn't have a pen or a recorder. And he, he said, are you a reporter? And I said, yeah, you know, I want the Jim Durham was the voice of the Bulls. I'd like to get JD's job. And he kind of understood we're like the same age. And, but he was a little, you know, inquisitive. Like, what are you doing in here? Like without, a, and I explained what I was doing and he was fine with it. He had a, a three piece Brown suit on. He must have had 56 tickets in front of him hailing from North Carolina, going to UNC in Atlanta. You know, he, he had a lot of tickets uh, and the Hawks blew him out. And ironically, Doc Rivers was the point guard yeah. in that game. So I sent the tape to Cedar Rapids, and they and I would I didn't want to sign out on the uh, Tommy Mac Radio Network. I would sig out. I, I would say on the Atlanta Hawks Radio Network just to make it sound uh, a little more official. And they were like, "What the, the people in Cedar Rapids? What would a what would the Hawks announcer want?" Well, it wasn't. It was me. And then one last anecdote, but I always felt like I should have an interview in there too because that would be a part of having like a pregame show or whatever. So Mike Fratello was the coach of the Hawks. This was one of the other times. And he had finished his uh, post-game availability. And he was why he was like, Coach, would you mind doing this interview? And I said, welcome back, blah, blah, blah. Well, at that point, he realized, you know, it was totally – and he said, excuse me, do we have to do this? 
And I was like, no, coach, you're, you're absolutely I should have just interviewed him, and I could have put it together differently. But, yeah, so Fratello wasn't buying it, like, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I did that, you know, and, and I did it in baseball a lot. I did it at the vet years ago when Mark McGuire first joined the Cardinals, you know, because baseball was certainly my second love, and I was had aspirations of maybe being a big league announcer and had done some minor league games in, in South Carolina. But that's kind of what you had to do. I mean, that's kind of fostering an entrepreneurial spirit of, of forging a path and having a vision. And how am I going to get there? Well, that's part of my story in terms of how I got there. Uh, Tom McGinnis is our guest here on the Announcer Schedules podcast. And obviously, you mentioned uh, Sixers, and that's enough for you. A lot of these guys, they bounce all over. You just talked about baseball. It sounds as if if you were to bounce over and do some other stuff, would baseball be that next sport for you? For sure. I mean, I, I, I mean, I follow baseball so closely. You know, when I was little, again, these are like the glory. To, but I threw like three no hitters in a perfect game. Now, I, my arm, I can barely put my tie on. But <laughs> yeah, I, I threw so hard when I was a kid, and kind of tapped out. You know, with my baseball career. But real, I mean, I really loved it. I grew up a White Sox fan, and but the Cubs were on. We got Cardinals games. My dad was constantly watching baseball. I, I've called college football, and with that, you know, and my, my delivery is sometimes a little rock'em, sock'em, with three yards and a cloud of dust, what I think suited itself well to, to the sport of football, bringing in an analyst, and then here we go again 30 seconds later with another play. But, yeah, for baseball, just, again, having the ability to weave in stories and, and talk about baseball at a, at a high level. But, you know, it's interesting, Mike, like our schedule – runs to mid-April, and then, like I said, into May and June. Well, they're underway in February. And, you know, like, big league teams don't come knocking, you know, for guys that are going to miss 50 or 60 games. That's just – that's a hard, hard deal to mesh. And then you have to respect the announcers with those teams, like somebody coming in here to do a handful of games. But I, I for sure – and, and I'll, I'll be honest, and it's probably going to be this way, and it's okay, just because as, as a sports fan – even when I walk into a baseball stadium with the green grass and just the whole ambiance, all the anecdotal elements, I, I just love, I love sitting at a baseball game, chatting it up, watching the game. I'll, I'll have felt that I've missed something because again, I dreamt about it for so long. Guys, I used to leave the little league game and I'd be so excited to go back home and watch the all-star. Oh my God, they're wearing white, white cleats today. You know, going back to those in the 70s like that, I don't know that young people look at the all-star game in, in the baseball like we did back then. Uh, so I, I really love it. And to be able to, to play catch, and my son played a little bit of baseball. And yeah, it's, it's just a, it's, it's America's pastime. And, and baseball on the radio has a rich history with, you know, where how people, it was an everyday thing. And then it goes down the families and the generations and how people pass the game along. It's special, that's for sure. Well, I would do want to get your take as well. You, you mentioned um, calling the game remotely. That happened during the pandemic, obviously. But how the uh, the view for you has changed over time. It, it seems that, uh, you know, in Philly, I know, you're uh, on like the mezzanine level there. You see some places where you're down on the floor. Um, where do you prefer to call a game from? When you, do you is there and um, I, I, during the Eagles pregame, they always ask Merrill Reese, you know, about the booth. You know, what's the sight lines like? You know, Washington's the worst. And uh, he, I heard him last week with Chicago say, 
you like Chicago. Uh, do you have a, a place that you like to call a game from, and is there an arena that you like? Well, speaking of Washington, just listening to Scott in L.A. with the Phillies for years, you know Nationals Park is not their favorite. They sound like they're way up there. No, it's become part of it, Mark. Uh, Mike, to your point, like, uh, you know, about being away from the court, um, it's changed over the years, you know. So if this is 28 years, last two with the remote, yeah, I think we probably were on the court for maybe 10 or 12, 13 years, and now it's probably more that we've been off. And I understand it. Look, you know, the tickets and the, and the value of that location, again, in the NBA to sit on the court, to actually have your feet on the playing surface, that doesn't happen in any other uh, venue or in, in any other sport. Uh, that became real valuable real estate. So we, we've been lifted off the floor for, like I said, a number of years, uh, maybe a decade and a half. But, you know, if you had your druthers, you'd want to be on the court. Like you do get blocked. And some people will tell you, no, they don't, they don't, they'd rather be up. So the coach isn't blocking them. But, you know, you, you talk about a privilege. Like I, I was right next to Larry Brown's huddles during that Sixers run and during his time here in Philadelphia. And, you know, I would never betray. I barely ever said anything that went on in the huddle. But, as a, again, as a basketball guy, to look those guys in the eye and see the intensity and the passion, that's an incredible thing. I mean, that, that, like I said, that's like a privilege to be, to be there where you're trusted, too. Like, they know and seen you around where it's okay. And, uh, and that's changed, you know. And, and there is, like, one or two other places, and I'm sure that will eventually uh, – the scenario will shift. I know Chicago were on the court, um, but but it's almost like you want a fantasy. You know, you'll call a game courtside when you get to do it like that. Uh, but having said that, even though we're far off the court anymore, you can still call the game. There's different vantage points. You know, the league would love the the teams to keep the broadcasters between the baselines. That's not always the case. Um, so I know in Boston, like Mike, you know where the Sixers come out at the center. That that vantage point up a little bit in the corner, that's where we are in Boston. And there's a funny story from years ago. The late, great Joe Tate from Cleveland talked about a player in that far baseline that was obstructed by the stanchion, the basket support. <laughs> he said, and the Cavs already named the four players and a Cavalier to be named later because he was blocked. Uh, and you do, you have to extrapolate out on who, who that player is in the corner because you're blocked. Well, that's obviously not perfect, right? So, but when I get up there, I, I look to like the far bench and look at a kid's sneakers or the shoelaces or something, you know, and if I can see that and I bring binoculars, then it's okay, you know? So, but, and, and then in the stands, you almost feel like you're one of the fans. And I think that's been part of it. But you know, when you're, you're down on the court, you know, you roll up your shirt sleeves and it's like, you're getting in there and, and you're part of it. Uh, you can, it's palpable. The electricity flows through you the intensity of the games. Uh, and I, I think it made me a better broadcaster for sure. Cause I'm really good at reading lips, but when you're down there, you can hear yeah. and that's uh you can pass that along to your listeners in terms of some of the things that are okay to share. Uh, but yeah, it, it's okay. We're in the arena. We're getting to do you know something we really love. And I hope it, you know, it passes along to the listener. Well, it does. Uh, one of my favorite things is when I get off of work, uh, I get to drive home, and Tom McGinnis generally is hanging out with me in the car. I'll text him from time to time with some things that he says, and he's multi-talented. He can get back to me while he's on the air uh, during a break sometimes. 
Uh, Tom McGinnis, the voice of the Philadelphia 76ers on the Sixers radio network. Uh, you can hear them on Christmas Day if you're in the Philadelphia region. They'll be on 97.5 The Fanatic. And if you're down the shore on 97.3 ESPN, he has been our guest this week on the Announcer Schedules podcast. And, uh, Tom, we appreciate you jumping on board with us and sharing your stories, pal. Well, I, I appreciate the time. I thank you so much, and I wish you guys the best. All right, there's Tom McGinnis here. Thank you, Tom. And uh, a broadcaster, of course, the Philadelphia 76ers. We thank him for joining us here on the Announcer Schedule Podcast. Well, Phil, there you go. There's Tom McGinnis. Uh, a lot of crazy stuff, of course, traveling uh, and then getting ready for Christmas and broadcasting on Christmas Day. Yeah, you know, some some great stuff there. Um, I can I can relate quite a bit. Some of my experience, you know, I, I worked with the the Miami Heat announcer, Mike Inglis, the radio guy down there for several years. And for the, you know, probably the first few years we worked together, he flew solo as well. So that was interesting um, to experience that from a statistician standpoint. I've also done games on the floor versus the mezzanine area, you know, in my my stats role. And <laughs> there is a big difference. There's no doubt. I mean, we used to be down there on the, the scores table right next to the, the Miami Heat bench yeah. where, you know, Pat Riley was doing his thing, and Mark Ivoroni was one of his assistants. There's a, a Philly tie for yeah. you, and he would come over to the scores table and ask us questions and all this, and it was just wild to be down there that close and that personal. Then they we got moved up to the mezzanine, and that creates a different vantage point. Yeah, I, I've called games from, at, at West Virginia. I did the games from right there on the floor, and the coach was standing right next to me. And it was a blessing and a curse because the coach would walk in front of you at times and block your view. But you can also, like Tom said, you could hear into the huddle a lot and hear what was going on. Uh, so that was always cool. Um, you know, I've done games from right on the floor where the coach is using some language as well. And that's always a challenge. I've also done games from up top above the, you know, and I definitely prefer to be down in the action so that you can hear you know, if there's a, a referee uh, huddle, so you can kind of get a sense of what they're talking about if there's a call. Um, but, you know, I, I know that um, – I know the spot that Tom sits in. He is, like, in the mezzanine level, kind of that middle level there. And they do the TV broadcast there now as well in Philadelphia. And I know uh, some of the broadcasters, they prefer down, some prefer up. You're bouncing all over the place. But uh, good conversation with Tom McGinnis. And if you missed any of our past conversations, you can go back to our archives and uh, and listen. Um, we had Sean Grandy, who does the Celtics. Now Tom McGinnis, who does the Sixers. We've had a lot of national guys on from CBS. And uh, Larry Colmas, who does the horse racing. Barry Tompkins, who, of course, is the uh, Hall of Fame boxing. So some great interviews we've had in the past here on the Announcer Schedules podcast. Don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And we'll be off next week. And then we'll be back in the new year as we get ready for the national championship. We'll have the football playoffs. You just heard from Tom McGinnis. The NBA will be kicking in kind of full swing after Christmas Day there. So a lot of good stuff coming in 2023 on the announcer schedule podcast. For Phil, I'm Mike.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.